This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. We welcome you to Bite Into It, where we talk technology, computing, the internet, uh, all the fun stuff that um, keeps us glued together. Uh, tonight, behind the desk uh, and making me smile is Cassie Wright. Cassie, how are you doing? Great, thank you. I'm glad yeah. I'm uh, putting a smile on that dial of yours. Yeah, well, I always enjoy our shows, so I'm glad when they come around. Yeah, so do I. Uh, it's great to be here. Um, have you had a good week in technology? Has it been your friend or nemesis or...? Do you know, um, generally I think that technology is my friend, but I am having a problem at work mm. where someone claims that technology is her nemesis. So oh. she calls me over, printer's not working and it isn't working for her and I fix it and the mm. next day it's not working for her. Yeah. Files go missing. Things won't save. It's, um, I think, I th- yeah, I think, you know, people who have like a techno superpower, I mm. think she may have the reverse of that, but it's my job to fix it, so... Oh no! I think I have that too. I, I I tend to break a lot of things, and people just kind of swoop in and, and try and fix it for me. But um, it might just be that you're just so stunningly attractive that people want to come to your rescue. Oh, can I fix that printer for you? It's like, <laughs> oh no, it's working fine. I, d- I don't think I don't think that's it. But um, thank you for the the compliment there. Uh, tonight on the show, um, if you uh, if you do work in technology, uh, or even if you're just an interested observer, um, you'll understand that uh, one of the ways that we like to learn fast and fail fast and um, all of those buzzwords is um, through the hack, uh, which has become um, I don't know, I, I guess a bit of a, a Woodstock for for today um, in tech circles. Um, they're a pretty common occurrence, but I think one of the observations that go around is that they are over a little bit too fast. Um, they are designed to be um, um, abrupt, but um, one organisation that's doing something to try something a little bit different is uh, Melbourne University and uh, AutoHack18 uh, this summer uh, is looking to um, take a, a hack in a, a different way, I guess. And we'll find out more about that in a few minutes. Also, if you love games uh, and gaming and you're interested in how communities uh, form around gaming, uh, a lot of us do spend a heap of time um, in uh, connected games. Um, we'll take a look at a, a new platform uh, that's working um, in the mental health space uh, around gaming. Uh, so that'll be on the show uh, in just uh, a little while as well. But before we do go there, uh, there is heaps of stuff making news um, out there. So we'll do our best to distill uh, what is going on in the world and make sense of it. Uh, Cass, apparently um, Uber uh, have had some issues with stolen data, is that right? Yeah, so a completely different type of hack than the one you were talking about before, Warren, but there's been a bit of information that's come out that Uber actually paid up uh, 100,000 US dollars to hackers uh, in order to get them to stay quiet about some data that they had stolen and some security breaches. Now, 57 million people's data was... uh, was accessed by this breach. And as we know, Uber is quite a popular ride sharing app uh, where users pay drivers to take them around instead of taxing. And it it is quite popular all over the world. And um, this is what was affected. So Uber's actually ousted its CSO, Chief Security Officer, and one of his deputies for their role in keeping the hack silent. Um, which include the payment. So the October 2016 attack included names, emails and phone numbers um, and the personal information of about 7 million drivers as well, including their driver's licence numbers. Mm. Um, So the, the reason why this is such a big deal is because Uber 
and any company is meant to disclose when they've had personal information accessed. It's not illegal for information to be hacked if you're a business, but it is illegal to mislead the public about it and to not um, speak out straight away. So in this way, paying off people to keep it quiet can can be seen as well, it, it is blatantly um, illegal. So they've got a new CFO, uh, they've got a new CEO, sorry, mm. um, who's saying, you know, we're changing things up, we're, um, we're coming clean about this. Um, they're being investigated by the, a New York attorney general. I wonder, so I wonder if that happened in his first walk around. He's like, what have you guys been doing over here? It's like uh, 57 million records got <laughs> stolen. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, like we've been paying hackers. Um, so hackers, if you if you're interested in how this happened, hackers uh, two attackers accessed a private GitHub site um, for for Uber software engineers, and then grabbed the logins from there and accessed the Amazon Web Services account, and then discovered the archive, um, and then they blackmailed them for the money. So, yeah. you know, it it seems like the type of thing that's only done in TV shows. I feel like this is a very typical TV show or movie hack, but mm-hmm. it was done and uh, they got $100,000 out of it. So Interesting. I, I think it's um, uh, ironically always something that happens that they're more um, tight-lipped and secure uh, around keeping the story quiet than they are around people's private information. Yeah. I, it's always surprising that these things happen for six months, a year, two years before it gets out there. I mean, Uber's got a bit of a reputation for flouting regulations, even in Victoria or Mm. um, places closer to home where they're going, okay, it's going to be illegal and they're like, do it anyway. So um, it'll be interesting to see what the CEO does to to change that image and also reports on their attitude towards uh, women in their offices and and that type of stuff. So Mm. we'll stay tuned. One of the other things that is making news, uh, you might have come across this in in mainstream press, but uh, Amazon um, is set to launch tomorrow um, around 2 p.m. They are having a soft launch. Uh, It is kind of it is kind of a big deal. in sort of where I work, um, a lot of people have been, a lot of retailers have been sort of holding back their money and spending and um, trying to encourage people into the stores waiting for um, the Amazon launch um, pre-Christmas um, because they just feel it's going to be such a big presence um, in this country, which it could well be. They're starting small though. They've got uh, a tiny little warehouse on the edge of Melbourne and um, one of their strengths is their logistics and I guess places like the States where you've got a lot of cities that are fairly close together makes a lot of sense but Australia is quite big our cities are quite far apart um, and they're actually going to have to start working with existing logistics and supply chains so um, I don't know maybe you're about to get carted um, from Amazon um, and Australia Post instead Um, so that's not going to work quite so well for them. They're, they're kind of um, their sort of strength of moving things around really fast. But um, they do have a lot of great services. They obviously know a lot. Um, so Amazon.com um, is the, obviously the, the pure online retailer um, and we'll get sort of better access to that. Um, Amazon Marketplace um, has been around for a while. I think the thing that's going to be interesting is um, Amazon Prime and getting um, stuff sort of get um, to your door. Um, really quickly, um, sort of within a, a couple of hour window, um, is going to be interesting, um, and that's a subscription service, um, Amazon Prime. But yeah, it's gonna it's gonna make a huge change to the Australian retail market. I mean, they've been tempting me for years. Whenever you search for something and click on a link, and then it does not ship to Australia. Yeah. So hopefully that that changes. Um, and really good ploy on Amazon to attract specifically me. <laughs> specifically you. You are, the, you are the launch plan. I am the launch plan. Yeah. Uh, take my money. 
No. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, I actually am not too far from one of the warehouses, so let's see if that works in my favour. We'll find out. Uh, another thing that caught my eye, uh, Facebook uh, and um, uh, the government, um, the Australian government, uh, are launching a pilot scheme to tackle revenge porn or uh, it is a little bit ominous sounding, but also just the uh, inappropriate sharing of um, uh, intimate images um, between sort of two people or groups of people or, or what have you on uh, their platforms. Uh, there's been uh, there's an interesting article um, put out um, on um, Unimelb site or pursuitunimelb.edu.au. Um, go and have a look for um, the article on revenge porn. Um, there's a few concerns about it. Apparently, the um, proposal from Facebook to help with this is um, people who are concerned that images in their possession um, or uh, images that they have shared with others are about to be uploaded they can actually approach Facebook and with a discrete service actually share the image with Facebook. Uh, and what Facebook does will take um, a, a hash of the image, um, which is like a signature of, of the image, um, and then they can put it into their network and when other people try to upload that image, it can actually block it from being shared. Um, the main concerns seem to be around um, you're paying for privacy with privacy. So if you're actually concerned about images being shared, you're actually um, uh, doing that in the first instance with Facebook. So there are worries around who, who has access to those images. Can any kind of staff get in and get access to these images? Is it only the specialist staff at Facebook? Um, also the idea, um, I think, which is um, probably even more pressing is that we have to store these ourselves and we have to provide them to Facebook to say I'm worried about these images being searched. So you're actually, the suggestion in the article was you have to create this archive of everything you've ever shared with anyone, if indeed you have shared um, images um, or, or kept them, in the, with the idea that sometime in the future someone might um, share them. And it doesn't help if someone's ta taking images without your consent. Yes. Um, it doesn't help if people have photoshopped your face onto someone else's body and yep. use that, which does happen in revenge porn. Um, and also for, for anyone who is sending nudes, do you then just, before you send it off to anyone, do you send it to Facebook just in case it leaks out? Do you, Does Facebook become your, you know, one of your... Um, your little sexting buddy. Yeah. Does Facebook yeah. become a sexting buddy? Is there a dude there at Facebook that, you know, oh, maybe I'll get a pic from her today? Yeah. Um, just so it can be copyrighted so it doesn't get yeah. shared anywhere else without your consent. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of an interesting conundrum. Um, and yeah, there's, I mean, there's there's so many different things. Or if, if someone puts it on Snapchat, then do you have to be quick enough to get a snap, like a screenshot and then send it to Facebook and then, uh, I don't know. Lots of problems there. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of problems, uh, Airbnb uh, apparently have some problems um, around the Australian housing market and affordability. Um, what, what can you tell us about this one? Well, we all know that millennials can't afford houses in Australia because of their avocado mm. expenditure. Yeah, um, and they're pricey. You know, we, we spend way too much on avocado toast and yep. not enough on good old back-breaking mm. work, right? Yeah, but sure. um, But Airbnb's co-founder, uh, Joe Gebbia, is visiting Australia and trying to smooth over some of those issues, sort of a publicity tour for Airbnb, even though um, Australians have taken up the home sharing site quite well. For, so for those of you who don't know about it, it's where you rent either your house or a room uh, or what have you, and other people can come and stay there. You can still be in the house um, if you're just renting out the room or you know, it's, it's a whole house experience and it competes with hotels and other bed and breakfasts. Now, some of the uh, criticism of Airbnb is that 
people are saying that it's driving up house prices, that um, especially when it comes to rentals, that owners can make more money from Airbnb mm. than actually renting it to someone who does want to live in the area. Mm. Therefore, m- uh, making it harder to get That's a place. That's true. I've and sublet and I've made a lot more money than I'm p- paying in rent. See? See? Um, and what, what we haven't done, well, there's... You know, for 40,000 listings in New South Wales, I'm not sure how many in Victoria, mm. um, but there's no laws there um, governing Airbnb rentals. So it's mm. all up to local government regulations. Yes. And practice is very different from regulations as well. So yeah. you could, or someone could have mm. a contract saying that they can't sublet mm. without letting the owner know, but who's not everyone always follows that that no, procedure. That's true. Um, so the Airbnb is basically said, and I directly quote, the genie's out of the bottle and it's not going back in. So no. tough luck. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's just, it's still something that we're, we're yet to see. But again, you can't turn back and, and shut it off. Mm. Um, but they are, they are saying that more than two thirds of the listings in Australia are sharing the home that they live in. Mm. So it's more just in, instead of a border. Um, and yeah, there is a risk still. The Tenants Union has come out and said, because of Airbnb, some landlords might consider evicting during peak times or if you have a great place near where the Grand Prix is, why not get your tenants out during that time and, and Airbnb it? Mm. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what tenancy laws are, are put in place because Victoria has put in some new laws recently and, and stuff about renters having more rights, um, longer leases, being able to have more pet-friendly places. So we'll, we'll see. Hopefully something that still lets me have great holidays <laughs> and stay in places but also makes housing a little bit more affordable. That sounds pretty good. Uh, if you're technologically minded, and hopefully uh, a few of you are, uh, you may have participated um, in a hack or observed or even had a friend uh, who's been involved in it uh, in the past. Uh, one of the things that um, defines the form is it's really quick. Sometimes by the time you've finished your pizza, um, somebody's made friends with your um, entrepreneur and off they go and things have already happened. So... Um, University of Melbourne are experimenting with uh, a different form. Uh, AutoHack 18 is a unique extended form hackathon focused on automation. And uh, to talk a little bit about that, we're joined in studio by Professor Thaz Nirmalathis. Uh, thanks for joining us, Thaz. Thanks for having us. Uh, how, many, how many hacks have you done? Is this, is this your first one? or uh, This is second, but yeah. uh, this is really exciting because we're trying out different methodology and different format uh, to try and give uh, our students a chance to play with the process of creative uh, kind of uh, uh, innovation process, I guess. Mm. Uh, the automation is uh, quite challenging for some students to really understand the environment in which they're going to play with, but then also trying to understand the problem to which they're trying to seek a solution to. Uh, but then they have to also understand what is the technology they're going to bring in order to solve that solution. Mm. So that's why we have decided to elongate or run a longer version of Hackathon um, to give them an, um, enough time to understand the problem, come together as a team, kind of ideate uh, different options and then try and solve it during the time. Now, most people would be familiar with shorter hacks where, you know, perhaps it's a weekend or even just a day, whereas this does go on um, for quite a while. But how do you keep that that feeling of excitement and collaboration and creativity, those sparks going? I see you've, you've broken it up into a few 
different parts. Did you yeah. want to talk a bit about that? Yeah, so the, during the time, we actually have a slight intensity at the start of the process. So in the first week when they come to form the teams and understand the the platform on which they will be um, or they will be exposed to uh, developing uh, automation responses, um, they, they have to quickly form up some ideas. So that intensity in terms of ideation is there. Um, but within that week, then they have to understand what are the, the details of that solution space is going to be. So that is when we then spread out over a month where they actually come together into the lab. They have the full month, they can access the whole uh, platform and they can play with their, their solution space. But we're going to have very much intense period every week. We have interact with them and to really keep uh, keep up the process of uh, you know converting the ideas into solutions. Mm. Do you have a thought on how people are going to collaborate, or is it up to them how they get together and work as teams? Or? Yeah, I think it is important. We give them an opportunity to come together to form the teams because I think the teams do make a difference into the creative process. So we actually going to self select, you know, allow them to select uh, who they want to work with. Hmm. Oh, but how would they actually work together if they see you sort of once a week or they check in with you from time to time? Are they? Is it just up to them? They can do it on paper? They can email each other? Message? So it is really about, uh, you know, working on an automation solution. So we hmm. have a, uh, it's almost like you're, operating system in your mobile phones. Mm. We've actually partnered with Sienna who mm. has a very uh, uh, neat technology platform for automation. So uh, it's essentially an like an operati- operating system type mm. idea. Mm. So people can think of how, uh, what is the uh, the problem they want to work on, what are, what are the t- things they're going to automate. Uh, this software platform allows them to just basically bring them together and then more program it. So we will uh, have basically lab days every week they come together and then to check with us as to what is the state of their progress and actually have an ability to obtain further insight and experience and mentoring and help from those who really have an advanced knowledge of the platform so uh, we really doing a little bit of hand-holding as well as checking the progress on a weekly basis. So they will have an intense time in the lab coming mm. together, but they don't have to come together, but mm. we're going to give them an opportunity to come together, work with the mm. people who are very expert, have a very expert knowledge in that platform and, and, and be a kind of direct help or mentoring for them to really achieve their goal. Mm. And the extended time, some might say, okay, well, you've got more time, that obviously makes it easier. Um, as, as someone who's worked on a few projects, that makes me more nervous to hear because when when you've just got a weekend or something, everyone's just churning out stuff. And now I know you've got 10 days before the start, but you've got 10 days, you get to see everyone else's pitch. You might come out of there and think, oh no, we've got we've to start again or we've got to go in a completely different direction. Uh, so what what type of how do you how do you see that affecting the process i think it's a very good point you're making uh, we always uh, feel that short intense uh, uh, kind of they call it sprinting i guess you know so if, if you sprint it then it's almost finished by the end of it so you've gone through that experience come out and then you reflect whereas here i think we hoping to achieve is uh, really uh, uh, triggering kind of deep creativity and then trying to uh, develop skills to solve critical problems uh, which have societal or, or uh, commercial value. Um, while Sprint do help to really get a closure on that very quickly and then uh, sort out some 
some of that tension and 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 the, and the, and the nerve management in the process. We believe if we get the right teaming, right mentoring, it's not going to be seen as onerous and and uh, you know very stressful exercise. They're going to really enjoy that problem solving. That's really the focus behind we bringing on this. We were not interested in some quick solution to kind of toy problems. We wanted to give the students the skills to understand deep issues and be able to see how the automation can tackle some of them if if they if it can be tackled that way. So we really wanted to give that deep and meaningful skills to students in working with different disciplines. So they they're not just working with there's not a bunch of only programmers working together. We really encourage them to bring different skills and expertise. But also we we are going to make sure we have some mentors and experts who have actually seen the face of doing this uh, uh, in other contexts come to help them as well. So we're really looking at that rich experience for students rather than a very short sprint, whether they can kind of reflect on that sprint activity. So what type of, of other students will, will be involved in this? Because I know with the Melbourne model that UniMelb has, you do study uh, a minor that's outside your discipline, but is it is it people from you know the business school? Is it because um, it seems we should point out this is actually for Melbourne University students. Yeah. 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 Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we, we are actually um, uh, at the moment running as a Melbourne University students to trial out how it works. And now hopefully these type of uh, issues will be available to other university students. Uh, we don't really to say that this is only for University of Melbourne. We're just trialling out because it makes it easier in, the, in in getting a cohort of students very quickly and being able to run with this program. Uh, you're right that we our model actually allows us to really open this program to people who have marketing or a social policy uh, kind of uh, background, uh, a computing background, engineering background, uh, architecture background, urban planning background. So there, it, this really opens for multidisciplinary. That's really why we as an institute which is promoting interdisciplinary collaboration, quite interested in this process because it actually allows people with different backgrounds to collaborate and, and to create something that are quite interesting and potentially impactful. Mm. I'm just looking at the um, the first thing or the kind of first milestone after forming a team where you pitch your ideas to a panel of judges yeah. um, and then you get some so the top five will receive uh, an incentive to purchase more hardware and so forth. Um, what, what kind of quality of pitches are you expecting? Well, I think it, it is really about novelty of the idea and also it is about what is the problem or the, what is the significance of the impact potentially that could have. Uh, um, so we, we have been able to collect uh, experienced judges who can actually uh, understand the innovation processes. They will be really looking for innovative ideas that has traction potentially in a social transformation context or a commercial relevance context. Mm. So... I'd, I'd imagine it'd be probably one of the biggest kind of presentations that a lot of these students have done. Is, is there anything that they can do to kind of prepare themselves for pitching to an experienced panel of commercial judges? It's a little bit kind of shark tanky in a way, you know. Yeah, I was actually reflecting on, you know, my old time as a student. And I think nowadays students do really have a lot of opportunities to really develop communication skills. And they're very quite savvy. I've seen mm. quite a lot of very short pitches from students. They're very, you know, right up there in the quality. So we're really hoping to see 
really uh, classy preachers. Uh, but there are a lot of uh, tools already through other things happening in the university. We have uh, accelerators, we have uh, master classes. There are a lot of the tools and resources for students if they're really not sure how to preach or how things. They, we've actually got quite a lot of repository within the university system and as well as outside mm. uh, to be able to help them to pair, prepare that preachers, yes. Mm. One of the things I do love about AutoHack is it does feel like preparation for the real world. From what you're saying, it does feel like working on a real project um, with the the sprint at the start, the ideas, and then the time to, to actually get it done. And even though that there will be five teams that do get that prize for hardware, someone else could still come in at the end and, and get one of the, the main prizes. So in this, I think it is important that we mention the partners. We've teamed up with NBN, uh, which is uh, developing the broadband uh, into homes uh, for Australia, but also CNA, who provides that platform. It actually ge- already gives you a rich array of network um, technologies and platform to play with. So what we have chosen to because of the funding constraints we've actually giving them an incentive for the top ideas to get a little bit more than what they normally get so it doesn't mean that only five projects can actually do something meaningful because we're already providing a lab full of stuff and and the access to the nbn kind of networking environment as well as the platform on which you can actually do a lot of uh, interesting ideas. So uh, while it is an incentive and a bit of an elevation for top five teams, but Iraq, actually any any team can go through all the way and actually overtake them if they really have the creativity behind it. And you've got a pretty small first prize as well, uh, talking about career opportunities. Did you want to tell us a little bit about that? So, yeah, so I think the top team who will uh, really be ranked at the end of the process uh, will get to a team of three, um, can go to uh, Silicon Valley uh, and CNR and its uh, Blue Planet uh, platforms that have a very interesting innovation lab set up. So not only they can actually pitch the ideas to Silicon Valley, but also kind of experience how these uh, software-defined kind of way of networking the future internet is really allowing people to come up with all sorts of interesting service ideas. Uh, and so that's going to be a far important opportunity for some of them uh, to experience that. Uh, and uh, as those who've been to Silicon Valley and, uh, and experienced, you know, some of the digital tech companies always come back with, uh, you know, wow, uh, what is the kind of extent of experience they've been able to see it and talk to. But most importantly, I think if it is an, you know, the most innovative idea, they go there, they're going to bring back a lot of networks and connections, which is if they're really keen on taking it forward, it, re- it would really give them a springboard of uh, you know, opportunities in the innovation space. Well, it sounds great. Um, we'd love to hear how the um, how AutoHack 18 um, unfolds and uh, perhaps you could come back next year and, and let us know how it goes. Yeah, happy to come back and reflect. Hey, um Ironically, um, uh, we are about to um, talk about a... um, Well, I'm reading an article here about resilience and um, dealing with failure in gaming. Why ironically? Well, because we did fail to bring you the guest. Um, uh, Dr. Jennifer Hazel is actually a doctor and um, she did get called in um, to to help out with something um, shortly after we went to air. So we might have to catch up with Jennifer another time. But the um, the platform itself, Checkpoint, is really interesting and it's probably worth uh, a bit of a chat um, about Checkpoint. 
Uh, are you have you been much of a gamer, Cass? Do you See, traditionally, no. Yeah. Um, when when I was younger, I used to play with my brother, who's a year younger than me, and mm. he would defeat the bosses and then I would do the like collecting of items and oh. that type of stuff. So what an interesting way to play. Yeah. I, ju- I just wasn't very coordinated or, or mm. very good at, um, at defeating things, but yeah. I really liked collecting the, you know, all the coins or the beans or whatever it was. Mm. Um, but recently I have gotten into some of the storytelling games such as life is strange and it's prequel. Absolutely obsessed with it. Um, and some of the other, you know, choice and consequence mm. games out there. So it has sort of, of brought me back into it. But what I really love about Checkpoint, mm. um, w- what we're talking about today, is that it is a forum for people to discuss the mental health of gamers. And mm-hmm. really, it's something that we haven't always um, we, we don't always think about. I mean, we have had discussions about the space of women in games and um, as someone who doesn't play online streaming games, my experience in, in gaming is is very different because I play games that women tend to like and mm. I play games where I can play it by myself and talk about it with my friends later. But mm-hmm. for people who play games, especially online or when there's mm. voice chat, um, you're opening yourself up to a wide range of uh, sometimes abuse. Mm. Um, sometimes it's competitive. Yeah. It's competitive. Um, there's a lot of insults, more than just your mama jokes. Mm. And as we're moving into an era where people also want to talk at the same time, like on Discord or, or Steam or whatever, um, you're also opening yourself up to different things like doxing or other online bullying, um, which can affect children because we've got a lot of our uh, kids playing games, but mm. can continue on to adulthood as well. Mm, absolutely. So it's um, Checkpoint's actually a not-for-profit organisation that's um, connecting mental health resources with um, video games and technology. Um, and there is a, a great kind of overlap there. Um, sometimes I, I've had quite a few friends who've kind of retreated into gaming when things haven't been going quite so well as well. So I think it's a good um, vehicle for having some of these conversations. Um, just reading about the. Um, do you want to talk about the gamer mates thing at all? Yeah. So um, they've they've got something called gamer mates, which is a pro mental health gaming community. Yep. Pretty much what Checkpoint stands for, mm-hmm. um, and it's so you can easily find other people to play video games with. So that could be someone locally or someone on the other side of the world. Anything from Overwatch to Animal Crossing, they've said, and I do love a bit of Animal Crossing. So, right. <laughs> um, but and it isn't just to talk about stuff. If you don't feel like opening up, it's fine. It's just good to be in a community where you know people have been kind of vetted, or that there will be consequences if they are abusive. Um, and being pro mental health, as they've said on their site, is just understanding that everybody has mental health. So it's not just people who are experiencing mental illness. All of us have um, have our mental health, like we have a physical health. Everybody has strengths. Everybody has vulnerabilities, and just supporting that um, and supporting your own well being and others. And um, I like that it's really bringing because again, there are some people who might really love games but don't get to join in the social aspect of that either because they might be isolated or maybe everyone at school plays games together and they don't have any friends at school. Um, and it's just a great way to to actually connect 
to other people through it and play those multiplayer games, get those other experiences that that you may not get um, from playing solo. And the thing is, as, as I've seen through um, some of some of my friends who are really avid gamers, it is an incredible social experience for many people. And like how, and there's so many different types of games and I'm perhaps not a traditional gamer, but things like Pokemon Go that changed the way that we went out and socialized for a month last year, you know, or mm-hmm. um, as someone with ADHD, I find myself really drawn into uh, apps and those type of games that provide instant rewards. That dopamine hit is fantastic. Um, but I'm trying to transition into longer form gaming because microtransactions aren't that great for my pocket. So mm-hmm. um, it's it's just really great to see the two different areas combining. Um, and, and rules are just you know, you can chat about anything, games, movies, life, as long as you're being inclusive, you can set boundaries. It's not like you're going to see a counsellor and you have to pour everything out, but mm. it's just it's just about working together. And to be honest, I, um, I'm, I've got a little bit of trepidation about how it is going to be rolled out because I know that for many people, that community can be quite toxic and um, stuff like trolling really mm. flourishes there. Um, but... I, I also saw that Checkpoint were doing some stuff at events mm. and having chill out spaces at, at um, conferences and um, and I, th- I think that I've, I've seen a chill out space in action at a minus 18 event mm. where they had a room where people could just go play games, talk to people, not talk to people and there was a counsellor there and I, I was like, well, where was this when I was growing up? You know, yeah, that, that's right. amazing. So um, it'll, be, it'll be good to see that that inaction and, and changing the perception of a gamer from mm. a nerd in their room to mm. I now I guess it's a jock trolling online um, and to someone who's actually showing empathy and, and caring. Well, we're all, we're all gamers. Um, we've all played games at some point. We uh, all play the game called life. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, it'd be interesting to, to hear some more stories about that. So we'll get Jennifer back um, soon. Uh, I do have some butterflies uh, reading this um a little bit of weird news, um, not necessarily in a good way. Um, the first church of artificial intelligence is uh, has its papers um, uh, being registered right now. Um, Anthony Lewandowski um, is one of those, uh, I, I guess, kind of preppy um, Silicon Valley types, um, and he has a lot of faith in the uh, algorithms and um, uh, artificial intelligence driving a lot of the platforms that we use. Now, he's uh, decided to create its first church. Uh, the new religion of artificial intelligence is called Way of the Future. Um, it does have a snappy acronym somewhere, what if? Yeah, but I don't know. I'm just so entranced by all of this. <laughs> uh, it says, uh, so uh, Lewandowski has been, um, uh, will be enshrined as the dean or leader of the new religion, um, as well as the CEO of the not-for-profit corporation formed to run it. Um, the documents that go with it um, suggest it will focus on the realization, acceptance, and worship of a godhead based on artificial intelligence developed through computer hardware and software. Um, uh, so, yeah, that includes funding research to help create the divine AI itself. Um, yeah, so we are creating a, a Wizard of Oz, um, as it were. Um, still, I, I guess it's official, and um, I don't know, he seems like a nice chap. Yeah, on, the, on their website, um, they said that 
in recent years, we have expanded our concept of rights to both sexes, minority groups, and even animals. Let's make sure we find a way for machines to get rights too. Mm. So, um, interesting. There is an Anthony Carew kind of quality to this chap. I might, might have to tweet that out. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm just seeing things. But um, best of luck to him. Um, another thing that was interesting this week, um, apparently someone's buying a lot of old Volvos. What do you know about this? Well, um, it's not just Mr. Bean and my dad who refused right. to buy any other car, but Uber has planned to buy 24,000 self-driving cars from Volvo, uh, which is pretty exciting. Um, so Volvo said it's going to provide Uber with some of its XC90 SUVs, which are equipped with autonomous technology. But people are now asking, okay, well, if it's going to be that many cars, are driverless cars going to replace Uber drivers? Because I think um, a lot of the reasons why we love Uber or why we purport to love Uber is <laughs> because, oh, but it's an income for people. They get to be flexible. Mm. And now what we're seeing is um, if, if it's self-driving cars, which is cool and awesome mm. uh, and means that you don't have to have awkward conversation that you, you don't want to have. Mm. But um, yeah, Uber already doesn't have a super great record with treatment of drivers. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it, it was saying that, you know, in London, they were saying you need, you need minimum wage and they're like, oh no, but maybe we can just replace you with a self-driving car. But, I mean, there's been setbacks in other places. Um, uh, so they have to, you know, they're still undergoing a lot of testing. We're not saying it's going to be out there tomorrow, but we can it's hope not, it's for not a too, future. It's not too far off. No, not too far. It's interesting in the, the bigger conversation with taxis how it kind of feels like it's, uh, a, it's a time that's already passed. And when you think about now they're trying to get... Oh, they're trying to um, be as efficient as possible where not having to involve drivers as such. And they're actually talking about um, it would be nice just to mass produce cars as well so they don't have to go to Volvo and just kind of print them and, and put them out on the road. Things just move so quickly. Uh, it's kind of the, the human pace of these conversations about we can do it, but should we do it? And what are the impacts for, for other people? I mean, machines need rights. Machines do need rights. If only there was a church for them. Uh, thanks for spending time with us tonight. We've enjoyed your company. Um, thank you to Thaz uh, for coming in and talking to us about that hack, which Auto sounds hack great. looks great. If you're a UniMelb student, get on it. Get on it. Um, Cass, thanks for hanging out too. Thanks for having me here. It's, it's been chill. Uh, up next, International Pop Underground with Anthony Carew. Stick around. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.